0: Hello and welcome to the Politics Home podcast. I'm senior political reporter Liz Bates, and today I'm joined by our editor Kevin Schofield. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Liz. And director of the research group UK in a Changing Europe, Anand Menon. Hiya. <laughs> Hello. And uh, I should just say, actually, that we were just chatting earlier, and you are you're from Yorkshire
1: indeed
2: as yeah. well west as
0: yorkshire west yorkshire. yorkshire okay well hang a i'm I out,
1: now outnumbered today <laughs> that was There's that was one my Spotsman point two yeah football.
0: yeah i mean i do try to encourage you know regional division <laughs> you do on the politics <laughs> uh, and podcast uh, and i am finally in the majority so Good uh, you, well done. Thank you. No, no hint of bitterness <laughs> at all, as you said that. Uh, now, this week was just an ordinary one for us in Westminster. The Environment Secretary contemplated the possibility of Britain running out of water in the event of a no-deal Brexit. Economists contemplated the various levels of economic ruin we could be subjected to when we leave the EU. And Theresa May, as ever, contemplated her own precarious future as the meaningful Brexit vote draws near. Um, so, there's lots of things to discuss. It's kind of, it's sort of the same week again and again. It's like Groundhog Day, isn't it? We talk about Brexit constantly. Yeah. Not that much changes. Um, but I think the interesting thing at the moment is the Brexit vote, the meaningful vote, is yeah. coming up. we finally got a date for it. We've finally got a date for it, which is... 11th of
1: December. 11th it's of 7 December. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I think one of the things that people have been talking about this week, more than anything else, is can Theresa May possibly win this vote? So, And what is the parliamentary arithmetic? So, do you want to... Give, uh, give us the I, I don't see you're, anyway. bre- you're really good at arithmetic. I'm coming, great. I'm so.
1: brilliant with adding up. No, I don't see how she can possibly win it, and I think there's an acceptance in number 10 as well that she can't win it. It's now a question of how much she loses it by, so there's a bit of expectation management around. There's a story in The Sun yesterday which said that she could lose it by 200, which I think is probably a bit pessimistic from a government point of view, but I think you're looking at minimum 100 And they're almost trying now to create a narrative whereby if it's less than 100, somehow that's a big win for us. That's a
2: really weird world we're in, isn't it? Yeah. The spin doctors are saying, if we lose by less than 100, it's a victory.
1: Yeah. I mean, officially they're saying, no, you know, we're fighting for every vote. Uh, we had a briefing with the Chief Whip a couple of nights ago a few of us and you know on the face of it they, they're, they're optimistic but he, I mean as you say you've only got to look look at the numbers yeah. some like 99 Tory MPs have now come out and said they will vote against it probably in the final analysis a few won't they might be, be abstain but considering that we're already in a hung parliament the DUP yeah. who she relies upon to give her a, an overall majority uh, they've already said they will, in no circumstances will they vote for it in fact they will vote against I think it's just Absolutely impossible, and it's just a question of how much she loses it by, and I think that will then dictate what happens next.
0: Who, who are the different factions then that have, that have ditched her? Because we've got, so she's lost the DUP. She's lost the
1: DUP over Northern Ireland, and yeah. this idea that Northern Ireland will be treated differently under her deal than the rest of the UK, so they're completely against that. Um, she's lost, obviously, the Tory Brexiteers, they don't like it because they say it oh, will keep us locked in a customs union, they don't like this backstop to try and avoid a hard border on Ireland. So she's lost them. She's also lost a lot of Tory Remainers, people like Joe Johnson, who yeah. voted and campaigned Remain, unlike his brother, obviously. But he resigned saying that, yeah, this deal will essentially leave us tied to EU rules with no influence over it. So there's a collection of Tory Remainers who don't like it either. Labour have also... Have said they well, will she lost Lisa Nandy, and didn't she, which was crucial. Well, that was a significant one on Sunday as well. Lisa Nandy, who had been sort of on the fence and had suggested that you know, she might vote for it if the alternative is no deal because obviously her, her constituents would bear the brunt of that but she came out the weekend and said she'll vote against
2: it as well She so. might even have lost Caroline Flint actually Oh really? Because uh, she spoke at one of our events the other night and I said to her are you going to Are you gonna vote for the deal she, and she didn't say yes or no in fact she edged towards no And like, that's the you know,
0: change isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that it is massive, someone yeah, who,
1: yeah. Labour MP who have campaigned but, for remain That was the home banker but has completely accepted yeah. that we're leaving yeah. and has been pushing that message. so yeah. even she might not. Yeah, jeez. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's so uh, It's really. It is quite bad. bad. And um, it, as a, as a way to kind of turn it around, Theresa May has thought, "What am I really good at? Campaigning." <laughs> um, so she's she's taken herself off around the country because uh, they love her in Scotland um, and Northern <laughs> Ireland. Uh, so how's that going so far, Anand?
2: Well, it's curious, isn't it? Because on the one hand, you've got to think to yourself. It's it's MPs who are voting on this. Why is she wasting all this time going around the country unless she really thinks that the British people are picking up their phones and ringing their MP and lobbying them, having been impressed by her on the stump? Uh, You know, there's a lot of ifs in that uh, Yeah, that would be
0: hugely optimistic of her, Uh, but, you know.
2: But, you know, she's obviously hoping that MPs watch the polls and that she can move the polls. But I don't see how, I don't see any way that that makes any difference for the first vote. So I mean, it's fluid, isn't it? I mean, you hear all these stories from Northern Ireland of just how angry businesses are with the DUP. And even the farming community that's very close to them is getting quite irked by that position. Mm. So you can see how things might move. I just don't see it moving by the 11th of December, to be perfectly honest. Um, I suppose the other thing the government is going to try and do, which takes us back to Carney yesterday, is crystallise this into a choice between this deal or a kind of economic Armageddon that takes us back to the 1930s crash. I mean, I thought it was very brave of the Bank of England to try and model no deal, because no other economists that I know have done, because it'll be a mess and it's very hard to do. Mm. But they were obviously under some political pressure to do so, because they want that choice to be binary, and they want it to be quite clear.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, I want to do a bit more on the um, the long economic words stuff in a second. But before, just before that, we had a kind of a relatively new Brexit story this week in terms of the TV debates.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah. And I,
0: is- I was actually reasonably excited until you oh, wrote God. our oh, no. you wrote our morning email pointing out, well, we've seen this debate a million times every PMQs. Yeah. Jeremy and Theresa May talk about Brexit and I suddenly thought, oh God, yeah, I've seen this before. I don't yeah. want to see it again.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, dearie me. I mean, we, we have to watch PMQs because it's our job. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the normal voting public Generally, don't bother, uh, and if they feel they need to watch this debate, then they will have a, a window into our weekly uh, anguish at having to watch it. But, but yeah, I mean, it's part of this idea that this is now a very short election campaign almost. Yeah. She wants to have a debate, um, but she's insisting that it must be just between her and Jeremy Corbyn. I think that suits Labour as well. They're quite happy for it to be one-to-one. Um, but inevitably we've had Nicola Sturgeon wants to be in it. Boris Johnson suggested that a high-profile Brexiteer might be in it. Not Boris sure, will reluctantly not sure put himself in front of there. the camera. <laughs> the People's Vote campaign, they've said that one of them should be involved in it. Um, I think what's going to happen probably is it will go ahead now. It's looking like one night next week, yeah. probably not the Sunday night because it would clash with I'm a Celebrity's final. So <laughs> no one would definitely watch it then. Yeah, it'll be pretty unsatisfactory, because actually, if you look at their two respective positions, they're not really that much between them. They both say the referendum result should be respected. Yeah. There's only mild differences really between Labour's position on how that should happen and the deal that Theresa May come back with. I think the one thing the government has to
2: hope is that as we approach this deal, then the, the weirdness of Labour's position comes under more scrutiny. Because what Labour have got away with, like any good opposition party, is essentially saying, Government's policies are rubbish. Ours would be loads better. We're not going to give you a lot of detail about them now. And that, you know that's good opposition hmm. tactics. But I think as this vote approaches, if more scrutiny is focused on Labour, what we'll discover is that they do cakeism every bit as well as David Davis and co have yep. been doing it for a couple of years. You know, a customs union where we get a vote on trade deals, not on offer. Single market without freedom of movement, not on offer. So I think that's the reason why, unless you're a conspiracy theorist, in which case you put together the constituency visits and the debates, and you think she's going to call an election again?
0: God, I, I think... I um, I <laughs> <laughs> that made me feel tired, just thinking about it. Um, yeah, no, I think you're right, and I think one of the dangers as well has been, and I think they've tried to tread this line between not, you know, taking a really strong position on Brexit and, and keeping all their different voters on side. I think there has been a danger that they've become irrelevant, especially given that Jeremy Corbyn seems to take long periods in lieu... And, you know, we don't see him that yeah. much.
1: Yeah, well, we saw John McDonnell yesterday. I mean, John McDonnell is everywhere. The guy yeah. is just a machine. Yeah. You know, he is just constantly on the airwaves and magazines yeah. and newspapers. You know, he's just relentless. He actually and won
0: Politician of the Year at the Spectator Awards last night. Did he? Just probably for effort.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for, for, for perfect attendance, probably. <laughs> for being on every Sunday show, every single week. I mean, you just cannot escape the guy. And yesterday, you know, he is certainly more pragmatic, I think, than, than, than Jeremy. Jeremy's very ideological when it comes to
0: everything
1: yeah exactly well he finds it hard to say things he doesn't believe which is a problem if you're leader of the opposition quite I know a lot of people think that that would be a good thing we expect politicians to do that but in reality yeah it doesn't happen very often Um, but so John McDonald went on the BBC yesterday and appeared to show a little bit of leg towards Labour supporting a second referendum he said it would be inevitable if there wasn't uh, a general election. If they don't force a general election, which I I still struggle to see how they can force a general election if the deal is voted down, then he said, inevitably, it then becomes about a public vote or a people's vote. Well, I don't um, see how it's easier to force that. No, I don't see that either, because the government would need to support it. Well, they're to introduce a bill and they have to agree on a question. Well, quite, and all has to be done before March 29th. Yeah. So
2: actually, was, what was really interesting about John McDonnell, I thought, was I saw that people were reporting a briefing from the Labour
1: leader's office afterwards saying this doesn't represent party policy. And you think, well, what does that? Mean? Well, they, they were trying to deny that he'd said it. Yeah. In strange way, they were trying to say, well, that, he might have said it, but that's not what he thinks was sort of the line that was being put out and then later on last night they were pointing us towards a subsequent interview that he did with ITV in which he was absolutely on message saying this is the policy vote down the deal push for a general election and then a referendum is on the table it's one of the options but that is definitely not what he said to the BBC he said inevitably it'll be a referendum and I just you get the sense that that's maybe where Labour are edging to They're maybe testing the waters a little bit, see what the reaction is. Yeah, um, But that seems to be the direction of travel, I think, yeah. as far as Labour's concerned.
0: That actually sounds more like your fault, Kevin, because you need to be better at reporting what people think rather yeah, than what they say. What what, say. What they yeah. say. Um, so I do want to get on to the uh, economic analysis stuff that's come out this week, because... Um, UK New Change in Europe did some economic analysis. We did it on of, Tuesday, yep. yeah. Yeah, of, of the Brexit. As of the Brexit. best by a mile. Oh, yes, absolutely. I went to the briefing. Did, yeah. I mean, it was wonderful. Uh, we also had the Treasury and the Bank of England. So, basically, just w- what are the top lines on that? How poor are we going to be and when?
2: Well, the simplest top line is for the economy over the medium term, staying in is best, no deal is worst. And Theresa May's deal falls somewhere in the middle. I mean, that's that's the message of all of them. I mean, they, they quibble about the numbers, but, you know, and, and with all these things, because they're sensible and their forecasts are not predictions, they're giving ranges. And we were very careful in ours to hedge it with a load of caveats because this is an imprecise science at best. But you're talking between sort of two, five and a half percent of GDP with this deal. We, we will be poorer than we would have been if we'd stayed in. And that's that's really crucial. Because there's all this talk about cliff edges. There's not going to be a cliff edge. This is going to be more... I mean, the, the, the analogy we use is it's more like a slow puncture. That it will take place over time. You're not going to notice it initially unless you're one of those people who looks at charts in the Financial Times and compares Eurozone growth rates with our growth rates. Because yeah. our economy is still going to grow. It just won't grow as fast as it would have grown. And that's quite a hard thing to notice. And, and why is that? Well, for all sorts of sense. reasons. Uh, mainly because of the impact of lowering trade with the European Union. I mean, Brexit is about making trade with the EU harder, basically. It's about putting up barriers. And what Mrs. May has done with this deal is limit the number of barriers. Uh, but we will still face regulatory barriers. We will still face checks on a lot of agricultural and livestock uh, products. Trading won't be as easy as it was, so trade will fall. That has an impact on productivity, and it's, it's via those sort of effects. And in ours as well, we take care to point out that actually if immigration falls, that will also have a negative effect on growth in this country.
0: Mm-hmm. And one of the things that came up at your, at your briefing was, I think, what, was it Jonathan Portis maybe said... Donald Trump was right. I mean, Donald Trump's been talking about the Poor Jonathan, deal. Poor Jonathan,
2: that's the only line of his that's been quoted this week. <laughs> President Trump was he right, sa- he said yeah, to- Jonathan <laughs> Porter. He said loads
0: and loads of really interesting things. <laughs> but, but then he was-
2: said that. Then, yeah, he- yeah. then he said <laughs> that.
0: Um, and, of course, Donald Trump said this week that it was a good deal for the EU, yeah. which was hugely unhelpful to Theresa May. And- he also said it
1: would make trade more difficult. with. Uh, Striking a trade deal between yeah. Britain and America will be... Impossible uh, under this deal.
2: Who knows what his motives were? I mean, there are all sorts of rumours doing the rounds that he'd spoken to Faraz just before, or he's, he wants to promote Boris Johnson. And so there's a political motivation. But yes, if we have this customs relationship with the European Union, it's really hard to do trade deals in the areas where it's easiest to do them, which is basically goods and agriculture. You can do trade deals on services, but actually the only really ambitious trade deal on services in the world is the EU, because, When you talk about services, you're talking about domestic regulation. So one example, if we want to increase trade in legal services, one of the things you try and do is say, you should accept our legal qualifications as good for working in your country. Now, you'll have a problem there because there'll be a lobby group of lawyers that say, hang on a sec. And so it becomes very, very political very, very quickly. It's very hard to do those sorts of deals. And I think doing that sort of deal with this U.S. president will be incredibly difficult.
0: And when it comes to the economic analysis, we heard a lot of it during the EU referendum. Um, do you think it makes any difference politically at this point?
2: I think it makes a difference this time because your audience is MPs. That's the fundamental difference with the referendum, isn't it? In the referendum, I think people are just like, yeah, whatever. Either they didn't believe them or they didn't think they applied to them or whatever, or they didn't notice them. Whereas this time, your constituency is MPs
1: because they're the people that ultimately will... Determine the fate of the deal. Yeah, and I think if you are a Remainer MP, you're going to believe it. You're going to point to it and say, "Well, there, yeah, yeah, you know, this is how bad it's going to be." If you're like Jacob Rees-Mogg or the ERG, his group, um, they will turn around and say, "Ah, oh, well, this is just more project fear." You know, so it's yeah. again a bit like the referendum. It's the MPs in the middle. Yeah. You know? So you've got your banks on the either swing side. It's the swing voters are the ones that are going to be like, "Oh well, actually, I believe we should implement the referendum." However. You know, is this the best deal? Can we get a better yeah. deal? And it, those are the ones that you know will be listening to it and paying attention.
0: Yeah, and I just want to a little bit get onto the. We sort of touched on it um, earlier, but the parliamentary process, because I feel like that's one of the things. Oh, Kevin's done uh, quite a uh, worried face.
1: <laughs> I was grimacing there. I'll I'll try my best. Okay. I'll try my, I will well, get my broad brush out right now. Okay. Okay. okay let's
0: complaint. let's uh, get ready for some vague platitudes from Kevin. <laughs> but let's start with an easy question. What happens if the deal gets voted down?
1: Sorry. Silence. Is that is that meant to be an, an easy question, is it? Well, if the, <laughs> if, the deal gets, if the deal gets voted down, then we are you know, in an uncharted territory. You know, we don't know. It depends then how Theresa May responds. I mean, it's been put to me that if she were to respond by saying, right, I hear the opinion of Parliament, I will now go to Brussels handily next Thursday. So two days after the vote, there is another European Council. So she's going to Brussels anyway. Um, so she could go there and say, right, Look, guys, my deal's just been chucked out. You've got to give me some more. And it's been put to me by Tory Eurosceptics that were she to do that? That might buy her a little bit of time. They'll wait till she comes back and see if she gets a bit of movement on the backstop or whatever. And then she'll maybe try and get the deal through again. But I think, though, if she were to lose it by, say, over 100, it would be very, very difficult to see politically how she can then try and bring it back. Because even if she came back... Do you think she can carry on? Well, that's the thing. Again, so this Eurosceptic MP said to me that where she, however, to turn round, having lost heavily and say, well, I did warn you, that's that. I'm not going to get any more. Then more letters of confidence will go in. We've heard that before, of yeah. course. And she might well be brought down. However, timing-wise, do we really want to be bringing down the Prime Minister just before Christmas? And then the, nothing can really hanging. happen until after January. And then we're only two months out from yeah. March the 29th. I mean, yeah, so I think what will probably happen is we'll probably have, an, have an, another go at it before Christmas. You know, I can't see how that would go through uh, a second time. And then we're proper into chaos territory. Uh, that's when Parliament might well try to get a, a Norway-style deal and keep Britain in the European economic area, perhaps. But that would involve freedom of movement continuing. And the Prime Minister has said she's dead against it, so yeah. you'd probably need to have a new Prime Minister in order to do that. You'd have obviously a lot of people trying to push for a second referendum, I'm not sure there's a majority for that in parliament, and then potentially a general election, which again would require either two thirds of MPs to vote for it, or for the government to be brought down on a confidence vote, then you'd have a two week window in which the opposition probably would try to cobble together a majority, if that failed, then we'd have a general election. But when, when would you have that? January? February? And it uh, wouldn't
2: return a majority government anyway. And exactly. You'd probably you end mean? up with yeah. another
1: hung parliament, either Labour or the Tories marginally ahead as the largest party. Um, you'd probably need to extend Article 50 because then you're really, really close to the wire. Uh, I'm not sure I've been terribly helpful here. Yes. I, was,
0: I was just thinking, I had seven sub-questions. You've answered every single one. <laughs> Fantastic.
1: There we
2: go. Um,
0: so can, much can, of I... This is,
2: can I say on this, so much of this is weird, isn't it? Because the Tory MPs who are saying she needs to go back to Brussels and renegotiate this. What has she been doing for the last 18 months, do they yeah, think? She's yeah. been banging her head against a brick wall called the backstop. And the EU have kept saying no. There is no way they're going to change their minds now. I mean, she might come back with a bit of sort of unicorn dust in the sense that you get a sentence saying, you know, both the EU and the UK are very confident that we'll invent the technology needed not to have a border and so we won't need the backstop. But that's not in any way binding. That's I mean, And, and again, there, there's a that.
1: hard deadline to that. Yeah. It has to be by the end of 2020, the implementation yeah. period ends then. And if we don't have a free trade deal, then it's either extended or into the backstop. Yeah. And even this Norway debate is slightly surreal, isn't it? Because there's a political declaration...
2: And the declaration she's brought back doesn't uh, prevent us doing Norway in the future. It's, it's, in fact, the beauty of the political declaration is you can sign whatever trade deal you want on yeah. the basis of that. And it's not binding. So the notion that we'll somehow get Norway and it will be all right just strikes me as weird because the best we can get is a non-binding political declaration about a direction of travel which will be negotiated once we've left.
0: Absolutely. So, does that, does that help answer your question? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, perfect. It's a mess. I, I feel like yeah. I feel like I really know what's going on now. Um, okay, so before we move on to our weirdest stories of the week, you interviewed Justice Minister. Rory Stewart this week. I did, correct, for the House magazine. For the House magazine. And what were the most interesting things uh, that he said to you? Yeah, he's a fascinating
1: guy, Rory Stewart. I'd I'd encourage anyone to look up his Wikipedia page. He's not a normal MP. He's done all sorts of things uh, before he came into politics. And yeah, I thought the most interesting things he he has now put himself out there as a strong supporter of the deal. Mm. He supported Remain, um, campaigned for Remain, but accepts the result of the referendum and says, look, this is the deal on the table. There is no other deal uh, that we're going to get, no other deal being proposed. This is the only one that stands, a hope, and hell's chance of getting through Parliament, so we should all support it. So I asked them about Boris Johnson, Jacob e. Smog. He was less than complimentary, let's just say that.
0: Okay, well, let's have a listen um, to a bit of you and Rory Stewart. And I should just actually caveat this, because you, uh, you, you guys were having a lovely time, you're in a cafe, so you can hear a bit of clinking and, and so it's forth. It's a very little
1: coffee machine just behind yeah, you. Yeah, it definitely
0: wasn't a bar anyway, um, but you can, you can hear a bit of clinking in the background, but this is you and Rory Stewart.
3: I think in peaceful times, uh, you can be cheeky and challenge but in times of crisis like this it, it is sometimes worth uh, thinking that loyalty is important and I think that it would be nice if we could begin to rebuild within the party a the sense that we have each other's back and that we share common values and that we're in a common project rather than having 300 people all heading off in different directions, each of them feeling they could be Prime Minister tomorrow. Do you think that you could
1: uh, serve in a government led by Boris Johnson or J. Therese Mogg, something like that? Um,
3: I think I would find it difficult. (laughs) I I, I suppose there's If I've learned anything in eight years, probably as a politician saying never is is maybe too extreme. But I think at the moment I would find it difficult. I don't like that kind of politics. I don't like um, these words like vassalage, colonial status. I don't like the use of beautiful classical educations to whip up public sentiment. That's not my style of politics.
0: And now we're going to move on to our weirdest stories of the week. So I will start with you, Kevin. What have you got for me?
1: Uh, well, Anand, you t- touched on Jacob Smog going in studs up on Mark Carney. And uh, I did think it was very instructive. You know, he has created this demeanour of the gentleman Tory. You know, he does things properly, his impeccable manners. But he sort of, he, the mask slipped a little bit, I yeah. thought, last night and he um, really went off on one and described Mark Carney as a failed Canadian politician. Now, leaving aside the fact that I thought Brexdeers liked Canada. I thought that was their thing, was the whole <laughs> Canada deal. For Jacob Rees-Mogg to call Mark Carney a failed politician, I thought was, was pretty weird and a little bit a little bit off. You know, I had a wee look at Jacob Rees-Mogg's background. He stood in 1997 in Scotland, surprisingly. Got absolutely hammered. He stood again in 2001, lost again, then went away for... Mr. 2005 election, got elected in 2010 in Somerset, very safe Tory seat, and is, uh, is still there, been re-elected twice since then. But, you know, eight years on the Tory backbenches benches, plenty of opportunities, plenty of reshuffles, still on the back benches, never, never had a ministerial position. His claim to fame is he's chairman of the European Research Group, which is a group of Tory MPs, uh, Brexiteers, which as far as I'm aware, doesn't seem to do a hell of a lot of research, despite their name. So I just thought... It was pretty um, bizarre of Jacobi Smoke to have a go at anyone as a field politician yeah. when really you know, his, his career hasn't exactly been massively successful.
0: Savage takedown there. Um, and, and what uh, weird story have you got for me this week?
1: The best story ever, which is the story
2: of the sculptor who was trying to do a sculpture of a Roman emperor and ended up doing David Davis's face on it by mistake because he's been watching too much Brexit. I had a dream about David David Davis at one point during the negotiations, and it was the scariest thing that has ever happened to me because I don't take work home as a rule. I don't think about politics when I'm not at work. I usually have nightmares about football rather than dreams about politics, (laughs) and I had a nightmare about politics in which David Davis figured, so I understand where this guy's coming from, and I feel his pain. Yeah, and and You should definitely look it up.
0: I would encourage listeners to go and have a look. I think it was the Daily Mail that reported on it. Um, but it, it really is worth worth looking it's at. It's terrifying. It's good for a laugh. Yes. Yeah. You <laughs> will dream about it. You can't unsee it. Um, and, Do you think uh,
2: David Davis has dreams about Michelle Barnier you now?
0: <laughs> you think he must have. They spent a lot of time yeah. together, didn't they? A couple of hours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, finally, we have our listeners' question. Does John Hayes deserve a knighthood?
1: Well, yeah, I we should explain the background to this. So John Hayes, surprisingly, came out last Friday that uh, John Hayes, prominent Tory Brexiteer, was getting a knighthood. Now, normally knighthoods are normally bestowed New Year's honours lists, uh, or when a, when a PM is resigning, they, they, they do a, or when they're leaving office, they do a sort of resignation's honours list. So this was completely out of the blue. And the suspicion was that he uh, was, they would only give him a knighthood because he was trying to encourage Tory MPs to support Theresa May's deal if that was the case it's kind of backfired because he told the Mail on Sunday that he wasn't voting for it either so he's pocketed the knighthood said thank you very much and he's not um, he's not going to vote for it so yeah I don't think he, he merits a knighthood to be perfectly honest with you I'm not sure what he's done in order to get it
0: What's your view no. on that, Anand? Well,
2: it was it was a brave try, I suppose. I mean, they're going to they're going to try whatever means they can, yeah. and if it's handing out gongs and honours and stuff, then you know it's a tried and trusted mechanism, isn't it?
1: Yeah. But, but like all uh, of Theresa May's attempts to try and um, sort out Brexit, it's, it seems to have backfired. And yet she clings on, obviously. Yeah. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. And uh, finally, we have uh, two listeners' questions this week. Actually, uh, if there was a general election, how could the parties campaign given that they're so split? And that is actually quite an interesting question, isn't it? Because how would they position themselves on Brexit? God, that is a great
1: question. Well, that is the thing. It would be a Brexit general election, wouldn't it? It would all be about how whoever won implemented Brexit. That was what the last election was supposed to be about, and it didn't really turn out that way. I, yeah, I I mean, it would be I very difficult. It'd be difficult for a lot of Labour MPs in particular, I think, to go on the doorsteps and say, make Jeremy Corbyn Prime Minister. Well, yeah, I mean there are lots there are lots of things to this, aren't there? Firstly,
2: it would be a gen it would be a Brexit general election to the extent that both party leaders would or certainly Theresa May would start talking about Brexit, but whether or not Corbyn can pull off the old trick of segueing to austerity and making it about that, mm-hmm. I think that's what he'll try and do. I suspect like, both parties and this will be the frustration for Remainers, both parties will campaign on a platform of respecting the outcome of the referendum. Uh so it won't be a re-run of the referendum in any way, shape or form. It might be that Labour by then have said, and once we've renegotiated the best deal you could possibly imagine, this jobs-friendly Brexit will put it to you for a vote. So we might have a, a general election, then a referendum, which would be a laugh for everyone. Uh, but, <laughs> that no, was a nervous it,
0: laughter It there. will be very,
2: very, very I mean, difficult. Was. And of course, you've just raised and, the big question, so isn't it? Which is, you know, Kensington voted for Jeremy Corbyn when his poll numbers were dreadful last time. Whether... He will maintain that vote when there's a realistic possibility that he could become Prime Minister is the big question, isn't it? And whether those Labour MPs who spend a lot of time on doorsteps saying, don't worry, you're not voting for him, you're voting for me, what they would do now. Yeah. When there is, is obviously a very, very yeah. real prospect yeah. of Yeah. All those are the big questions around yeah. hmm. another election. I don't know the answer so sorry
0: Yeah. Great. well that's a great way that's a great place for us to finish um, and we're very
1: honest we don't know what the hell's going
2: on
0: <laughs> um, that's all we've got time for this week but before we go every week at the end of the podcast um, we do try to encourage listeners to leave reviews and I have had a bit of feedback from some listeners who said you know how how do we leave reviews well you go on iTunes and leave a review there and I just wanted to we get a mixed bag I don't know if you've ever looked at them Kevin once or twice Um. <laughs> Uh, so I just wanted to read a couple out. Uh, Claire reviewed the podcast and said uh, she gave us five stars. She Thanks, said, Claire. "Love this, punchy and succinct, very informative." Um, so that was that was a good one. And then we also had this from. We
2: won't from, get that this week, I don't think. Well, we'll,
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see. We also had this one uh, from Logan: um, "Yawn-inducing bilge." <laughs> Thanks, like, Logan. From the ill-informed for the ignorant. We should um, get
1: that on a strapline, shouldn't we?
0: Yeah, we should. That should be our new, uh, that should be our new logo for Politics Home. Uh, so obviously a mixed bag there, but please do leave us a review um, if you listen to the podcast and let us know what you think, even if you think it's yawn-inducing bilge. <laughs> um, and yeah, as I said, that's all we've got time for this week. Thank you so much to my guests, Kevin and Anand. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>